Chapter Eleven of the Story of a Bad Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan. The Story of a Bad Boy by Thomas Bailey Aldridge. Chapter Eleven. All about Gypsy. This record of my life at Rivermouth would be strangely incomplete did I not devote an entire chapter to Gypsy. I had other pets, of course, for what healthy boy could long exist without numerous friends in the animal kingdom? I had two white mice that were forever gnawing their way out of a pasteboard chateau and crawling over my face when I lay asleep. I used to keep the pink-eyed little beggars in my bedroom greatly to the annoyance of Miss Abigail, who was constantly fancying that one of the mice had secreted itself somewhere on her person. I also owned a dog, a terrier, who managed in some inscrutable way to pick a quarrel with the moon, and on bright nights kept up such barking in our backyard that we were finally forced to dispose of him at a private sale. He was purchased by Mr. Oxford, the butcher. I protested against this arrangement, and ever afterwards, when we had sausage from Mr. Oxford's shop, I made believe I detected in them certain evidences that Cato had been foully dealt with. Of birds I had no end. Robins, purple martins, wrens, bullfinches, bobolink, ringdoves, and pigeons. At one time I took solid comfort in the iniquitous society of the dissipated old parrot, who talked so terribly that the Reverend Wybird Hawkins happened to get a sample of Polly's vituperative powers, and pronounced him a benighted heathen, and advised the captain to get rid of him. A brace of my turtles supplanted the parrot in my affections, and the turtles gave way to rabbits, and the rabbits in turn yielded to the superior charms of a small monkey, which the captain bought from a sailor lately from the coast of Africa. But Gypsy was the prime favorite. In spite of many rivals, I never grew weary of her. She was the most knowing little thing in the world. Her proper sphere in life, and the one to which she ultimately attained, was the sawdust arena of a traveling circus. There is nothing short of the three R's reading, writing, and arithmetic, that Gypsy couldn't be taught. The gift of speech was not hers, but the faculty of thought was. My little friend, to be sure, was not exempt from certain graceful weaknesses, inseparable, perhaps, from the female character. Oh, she was very pretty, and she knew it, and she was also passionately fond of dress, by which I mean her best harness. When she had this on, her curvetings and prancings were laughable. Though an ordinary tack, she went along demurely enough. There was something in the enameled leather and the silver-washed mountings that chimed with her artistic sense. To have her mane braided and a rose or a pansy stuck into her forelock was to make her too conceited for anything. She had another trait not rare among her sex, she liked the attentions of young gentlemen. 
while the society of girls bored her she would drag them with a certain amount of sulkiness in the cart but as for permitting one of them in the saddle oh the idea was preposterous once when pepper whitcomb's sister in spite of our remonstrances ventured to mount her gypsy gave a little indignant neigh and tossed the gentle emma heels over head in no time but with any of the boys the mare was docile as a lamb her treatment of several members of uh, the family was comical for the captain she entertained a wholesome respect and was always on good behavior when he was around as to miss abigail gypsy simply laughed at her literally laughed contracting her upper lip and displaying all her snow-white teeth as if something about miss abigail struck her as being extremely ridiculous now kitty collins on the other hand for some reason or other was afraid of the pony or pretended to be the sagacious little animal knew it and frequently when kitty was banging out clothes near the stable the mare being loose in the yard would would make short plunges at her once gypsy seized a basket of clothespins with her teeth and rising on her hind legs pawing the air with her forefeet followed kitty clear up to the scullery stairs that part of the yard was shut off from the rest by a gate but no gate was proof against gypsy's ingenuity she could let down bars lift up latches draw bolts and turn all sorts of buttons this accomplishment rendered it a hazard for miss abigail or kitty to leave any eatables on the kitchen table near the window you know on one occasion gypsy put in her head and lapped up six custard pies that have been placed by the casement to cool an account of my young lady's various pranks would fill a thick volume a favorite trick of hers on being requested to walk like miss abigail was to assume a little skittish gait so true to nature that miss abigail herself was obliged to admit the cleverness of the imitation the idea of putting gypsy through a systematic course of instruction was suggested to me by a visit to the circus which gave an annual performance in rivermouth oh, this show embraced among its attractions a number of trained shetland ponies and i determined that gypsy should likewise have the benefit of a liberal education i succeeded in teaching her to waltz to fire a pistol by tugging at a string tied to the trigger to lie down dead to wink one eye and to execute many other feats of difficult nature she took to her studies admirably and enjoyed the whole thing as much as anyone the monkey was a perpetual marvel to gypsy they became bosom friends in an incredible brief time and were never easy out of each other's sight prince zany that's what pepper whitcomb and i christened him the monkey one day much to the disgust of the monkey who bit a piece out of pepper's nose resided in the stables and went to roost every night on the pony's back where i usually found him in the morning whenever i rode out i was obliged to secure his highness the prince with a stout cord to the fence he chattering all the time like a madman one afternoon as i was cantering through the crowded part of town i noticed that people in the street stopped stared at me and fell to laughing i turned round in the saddle and there was zany with a great burdock leaf in his paw 
perched up behind me on the crupper, as solemn as a judge. But after a few months, poor Zany sickened mysteriously and died. The dark thought occurred to me then, and it comes back to me now with redoubled force, that Miss Abigail must have given him some hot drops. Zany left a large circle of sorrowing friends, if not relatives. Gypsy, I think, never entirely recovered from the shock occasioned by his early demise. She became fonder of me, though, and one of her cunningest demonstration was to escape from the stable-yard and trot up to the door of the Temple Grammar School, where I would discover her at recess, patiently waiting for me, with her four feet on the second step and wisps of straws standing out all over her, like quills from the fretful porcupine. I should fail if I try to tell you how dear the pony was to me. Even hard, unloving men become attached to the horses they take care of. So I, who was neither unloving nor hard, grew to love every glossy hair of that pretty little creature that depended on me for her soft straw bed and her daily modicum of oats. In my prayer at night, I never forgot to mention Gypsy with the rest of the family, generally setting forth her claims first, though. Whatever relates to Gypsy belongs properly to this narrative. Therefore, I offer no apology for rescuing from oblivion, printing here a short composition which I wrote in the early part of my first quarter at the Temple Grammar School. It is my maiden effort in a difficult art, and is perhaps lacking in those graces of thought and style which are reached only after the severest practice. Every Wednesday morning, on entering school, each pupil was expected to lay his exercise on Mr. Grimshaw's desk. The subject was usually selected by Mr. Grimshaw himself, the Monday previous, with a humor characteristic of him. Our teacher had instituted two prizes, one for the best and the other for the worst composition of the month. The first prize consisted of a penknife or a pencil case or some article dear to the heart of youth. But the second prize entitled the winner to wear, for an hour or two, a sort of conical paper cap, on the front of which was written, in tall letters, this modest admission, I am a dunce. The competitor who took prize number two wasn't generally an object of envy. My pulse beat high with pride and expectations that Wednesday morning as I laid my essay, neatly folded, on the master's desk. I firmly declined to say which prize I won, but here's the composition to speak for itself. It is no small author vanity that induces me to publish this stray leaf of natural history. I lay it before our young folks, not for their admiration, but for their criticism. Let each reader take his lead pencil and remorselessly correct the orthography, the capitalization, and the punctuation of the essay. I should not feel hurt at seeing my treatise cut all to pieces, though I think highly of the production. Not on account of its literary excellence, which I candidly admit is not overpowering, but because it was written years and years ago about Gypsy, by a little fellow who, when I strive to recall him, 
appears to me like a reduced ghost of my present self. I am confident that any reader who has ever had pets, birds, or animals will forgive me for this brief digression. End of chapter 11 Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan